A warm and felicitous greeting to all of our lovely monthly patrons. Huzzah! This month, we are going to be talking about, as promised, Forbidden Planet. Tally-ho! We watched it yesterday. I had seen it before. Richard had not. Pip-pip-turray? That is very appropriate. I, I don't know how else to greet people in Old English. It, it, it's very, I mean, it is appropriate. And also, I wanted to talk about Forbidden Planet. I mean, we'll talk about the movie, and we'll talk about what exactly is going on and all that kind of stuff, why it's important to science fiction and, you know, movies and things like that. But I also wanted to talk about it specifically, you know, because you are supporting us because we do a Star Trek podcast, you know, how... But I like to think they could just listen to us talk about anything. That, yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> if, if they're at the point where they're subscribing, then they can. Probably they have, well, like, I have, to, they I have, have listened to I us I have to go to Safeway anything. later, so... Okay. I can read out my shopping list if you would like. We could tell them all about the Swedish fish Oreos. Let's not do that. Those were terrible and we never want to speak about them again. Even I thought they were disgusting. So what was not disgusting was the film for Bidden Planet, which I saw for the first time and loved. I think it's a little disgusting. There are some things about it which are problematic. Well, I, I have been spending the past days thinking about these and coming up with mind-blowing theories about the film from a 2016 perspective so we're gonna have fun lay one on me well i guess i want to I, I mean maybe the way into this is well what you i know exactly what you think is problematic i mean the question eric asked me after we finished watching the film was okay so did the captain uh say that he hopes that the other guy the lieutenant i guess rapes her and this was a very difficult question to answer because, I don't know, it felt a lot more complicated than a yes or no question. Um, in some ways, this movie is very much from the gender politics of its, its time. It does assume that men and women are very different. It does, you know, there are all of those things. And we should say, we should place it in a historical context. Mm -hmm. This movie did come out in 1956. Yes. So we're talking about a movie which is 60 years old at this of point. Of course. Um and some of the differences between this and Star Trek are obvious. I mean, first line of Forbidden Planet is talking about the men and women who went into space, and yet we the literally the only woman in the uh, in the movie is the daughter Anne Francis. And uh, Star Trek obviously has it has you know Yahura on the bridge, and you know as Eric pointed out, there are only white characters in Forbidden Planet. That's true. Um, but you have also, you know, you have women walking around the Enterprise, even in, you know, it's a, you know, we've actually, we actually demonstrate in this, in Star Trek that there are women in Starfleet. We don't see that at all in this movie. Um, I think maybe a good thing to say about Forbidden Planet is that it is very much of its time. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's a very interesting example of science fiction, which is positing a future where we go out into space, is positing a, uh, extrapolating out what technology might look like in the future, but it is not really uh, uh, this type of science fiction that is trying to imagine what the society or culture yes. of that time is like. Yeah, and in a way, it doesn't matter. There is, to a very real degree, this is almost a fairy tale. It's very allegorical to me, um, which, I mean, the pacing of it is extremely languid, and I mean, I really liked that about it, but... Reminded me a lot of The Cage, incidentally, but... Hmm, yes, and, you know, you you said, you know, and again, let's, let's also make a point that The Cage has a woman in a lead role. <laughs> it, she's second in command of, yeah, the, of the Enterprise. Yeah, so, so, you know, again, that alone is a difference, but to a degree, what is this movie really about? And one of the... 
I guess the answer for me that I've come up with is why people aren't immediately tearing each other to shreds. And this movie I found actually slightly ahead of its time in the way that it constructs the complicity and the guilt for sexual assault, among other things. I mean, the the general evils, but sexual assault is kind of at the forefront of this movie. This movie gives us a situation in which you have, what is it, you know, 20, 18 to 24 virile young men and a woman who not only has no, doesn't seem particularly physical capable, but also doesn't, is very naive about the kinds of dangers that can befall her. The movie asks the question, why is the main character, the main woman, not being assaulted? And initially, one of the... Initially, the captain is coming from the perspective that it's because of how she's dressed. You know, a woman, you know, you can't expect, you know, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of young men to to hold themselves, you know, with you not wearing pants. I mean, she's wearing extremely short skirts throughout the movie. Um, Yeah, and one of the things that is kind of a characteristic of her in the movie is that she keeps changing costumes and these fabulous gowns and dresses and has Robbie the Robot make her something, which... Well, she says at one point, uh, you know, I designed these dresses myself. I very And we do see her... She basically just suggests a dress to Robbie, and he d- does it, but let's assume that that's a stand-in for her having a more active r- role in this. She just enjoys wearing fancy things and making new. It's just who she is. She's intended to be a very, again, very much of its time, but she is kind of a nature spirit kind of character. It doesn't really matter. She just wants to wear what looks cool. Well, and there's also an open question in the movie, I think, about, you know, because this is not a movie with strong characterization. Yes. Again, going with the allegoricalness of it. Uh, you know, it, it, it makes me wonder if the movie is trying to make a statement about the inherent qualities of men versus women, of course, because, you know, to set it up for people that perhaps have not seen the movie, essentially what happens is this this ship, which has some sort of designation that isn't actually a name, it's just kind of a serial number. Uh, Leslie Nielsen plays plays the captain, and there's a, a it's a it's a you know it's a saucer ship essentially. I, this is this... the first time I've seen a young Leslie Nielsen, by the way, and it took me a second because I'm very used to how he was, and you know, yeah, <laughs> it he was, was very funny, like forty in this movie, I think. Oh my god, that old! Yeah, wow. But so essentially, they they're on this mission to go to this planet Altair Four. There was a, a a small group of scientists that were founding a colony there, and they were go. They haven't heard from them in twenty years, and so they're going to check on them. And as it turns out, you've got this a doctor who is there alone. It seems in this fabulous house, which looks like a Jetsons house, which is very in keeping with the sort of nineteen fifties aesthetic of the movie. Let's just say the production design, the look of the movie, is fantastic. Oh yeah, and we will talk. We'll talk about yeah. that because the the special effects, particularly, are. are, are yeah. I mean, they're they're impressive even now, but it, it it's revealed that he has a daughter that is assumedly of the relationship that he had with someone that was also on this this yes. expedition. Everyone else, I think, has he died. mentions his wife who has passed away by the point right. of this movie. And so the question is, you know, he does not seem he seems protective of her. He seems like he loves her. He seems like they have a a very father daughtery relationship in a very traditional way. But you know, she has not had any uh, female influences. For for most of her life. I think they say she's 19. And so there is a question in my mind about whether or not she is socialized to be this way. Because I don't necessarily get the impression that her father is the type of person to 
spend a lot of time with her. Yeah. He seems very wrapped up in his own studies of this whole alien civilization that was there. Well, I guess one of my... And so, just to wrap up what my point is, is that I, I think that the movie is saying a little bit that women are frivolous and 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 that women are interested well, in in pretty things and women are interested in things that are not important quote unquote but at the same time i'm not sure if that's i i mean this is coming from you know my third wave perspective again i am viewing this film from the 2016 brain but as far as you know the, they're really cool outfits like is if she is designing these outfits herself that as a sign of creativity they're re- they're really cool it and doesn't seem so, like she is though it seems like robbie is making well them. that's the and again that's the open question is that literally how she's designing the dresses or again is that just a stand-in for her actively creating this and you know it's just a two-second scene for the movie but either way what i think is it, the the captain berates her for look at how you're dressed you know you go you you are asking for trouble in that outfit kind of a thing and I think what's very interesting is that what she does next is she designs this outfit that shows nothing, and the outfit that she ends up wearing, which is a full-length dress, which shows no cleavage and all of that, is just as alluring to him, in a way even more so. And then for the rest of the movie, she's just wearing whatever she wants. I think the point that's very much being made there is that it really doesn't matter how she's dressed— Anything untoward which happens to her is going to come from the man who is doing it. It's not her fault in any way. Again, that's, yeah. a, very, that's a very current viewpoint. That's kind of our construction of sexual assault nowadays. It is the fault of whoever's doing it. Um, but at, at the same point, that is what happens. Uh, and where the movie ends is with the admission that everybody has within them this id monster. Yeah. Obviously, in the case of Mor- Morbius, he's, you know, it's more literal than it is. But at the same time, uh, I-, I mean, Leslie Nielsen has this line, everyone has this, that's why we have laws and religion. The reason that, and that is an advocation for the superego, uh, given that this movie goes into Freudian terms. Uh, that's uh, that, Which that, we also have to say is not true no but of there course, is no evidence for any of this that in, said in one psychology of, one of the things that you can do when you're uh, you know it doesn't have to work in real life it works within the con- construction of the movie yeah and you know that's fine again it's a metaphor it's an allegory for but either way um there are reasons where i i mean it does come off as ultimately positive in that because we can look in society and know you know we aren't immediately well are we tear each other apart or not anyway the movie just i basically think the movie's answer for the question is well how do you how do you stop people from tearing each other apart whether it's you know in physical violence and war sexual assault whatever and the response of the movie is we can't blame the victim for this this is because of something a darkness in you that needs to be curbed and can be curbed I, I I kind of agree with you and kind of disagree with you because I think that 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 what you're not saying is the very I don't it's not explicit but I think it's it's definitely supported by what the movie is saying implicitly that this is, these impulses that create this monster are coming from men yes and they're... and that and that let's not forget that the woman Altea I think her name is is constructed as essentially a 
1950s version of a mm-hmm. manic pixie dream girl. Of she course. is, you know, the first time that we see her, she appears. Then they go outside. She's making friends with tigers. She is able to charm <laughs> dangerous animals. This is none of the id monster is coming from her. No. She is being threatened by the men that have come. And that is, to me, a statement that the movie is is sexist. Or not not just sexist, t- but has a very, very I don't know because it has, it has a very t- retrograde view of, of of human sexuality. I will say though that there the the concept of women at the mercy of dangerous men is a is is a concept that you don't not only see in retrograde, but you also see in current uh you know, avant feminism texts as well. And Yes. Again, it, it, it's. I, I mean, I, I, I don't guess wanna, I, I don't want to go to too far down a road no. of talking about sexual violence and talking about that sort of thing because I'm a man. I've never raped yeah. anyone. I've never had the desire to do so. I don't get. I mean, yes, men are dangerous, whatever. But I don't get. I don't know what it's like to be a woman in the society. I am not yeah. downgrading or poo pooing their uh, 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 very real statements about what it feels like to be a woman in the society. You know, it, it is it is a biological fact that that on average women are weaker than men physically, but. That is not to say that all women, you know, any one woman is, I mean, there are a lot of women that could kick my ass for sure. I don't work out or anything. And so to me, it says that it, it is that idea where I, I agree with it to some degree, but I also disagree yes. with it because I think it's incumbent on men to, I don't, I just, I don't buy the idea that men are by their very nature, violent, and and women should be afraid of them. No, and I don't either. And in a way... And I think a lot of what that comes from is how we socialize men and women, and how we socialize boys and girls, specifically. And so, to me, this movie is very of its time, and it's very confused about what it's trying to say. Well, I guess to a... Let's be honest here. This movie was probably seen largely by an audience of young boys, and... I, so I, I would I would disagree with that. Really? Yeah, because I, I think that in general, and we're very sorry, my dog is having issues, and I don't know what's going on, so you might hear some noises. That he's okay. He's just being weird. I, he's just being weird. <laughs> I looked up a review of the movie, and I found one from the New York Times from 1956. Okay, and it basically said. Everyone should go see this movie. Like this was a, you know, this is not a B movie. This was not. No, no. This had high production values. It cost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, It cost over a million dollars in 1956, which I don't even know how much that is now. I think I read actually $2 million budget, but yeah. No, it was, it was, it was like a million two or something, but, um, Robbie the robot actually cost $125,000 to make, which is (laughs) tremendous. I mean, that's probably like five or $6 million now, but at the same, but you know, it, it it became an iconic part of science fiction. It, it for, did, like, yeah. It, 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 the, 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 it was worth it. And it but this end. was a prestige movie that was trying. This is one of the great yeah. examples of 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 non B movie science fiction of the fifties that slots very nicely into things like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, yes. War of the Worlds. The day the Earth stood still. You know, this is the okay. age of those types of science fiction movies that are not B movies. And so, this movie had a lot of money behind it. This movie had a lot of talent behind it. And this movie had, um, you know, a lot of people going to see it that were not ten year old boys. Okay. Well, I guess 
Fair, but then to amend that slightly, there is the assumption in a lot of uh, works that the audience is male, again, given male gaze and all of those that theory. So, um, yeah, I, I, in a way, I think this is a movie which is saying to men that the that while the urges of violence may be there in you. Um, they can and should be conquered and uh, re- transcended and risen above. Which is a fine message to have. Yeah, I guess, but I also don't know that I agree with it. Like, I, I don't. I, yes. I, I like my, myself personally, I fundamentally don't agree with the idea that human beings are, by their very nature, violent. Maybe that has to do with my own personal personality i don't know certainly there are people that are violent out there certainly i mean i you know this is kind of far afield but i like i like serial killers i like true crime i don't like serial killers, <laughs> i was gonna say you might want to clarify that i i find them interesting i find true crime yeah. interesting and there is a very strong correlation of violent death committed by men mm-hmm. when women murder somebody it's usually by a quote-unquote nonviolent means like poison or something like that so it is it is true i mean i'm not saying that women do not shoot people women do not stab people they do but it doesn't happen very often and again is that a socialization? but is that a, yeah, we don't know is that a socialization thing i don't know i think that we'd have to you know maybe, i mean maybe, maybe in a thousand years <laughs> we can answer that question when men and women are socialized very differently i, I don't know what the answer to that is but to, to me, I think that it, it, it is it, – this movie is an interesting time capsule into that sort of viewpoint. Yes. And one can see the – in a lot of ways, I was thinking about could you remake this movie and more strongly bring out that theme and have violence or you know the capacity for evil because you know, let's face it, evil is not necessarily violence all of the time. Um, and evil is is I mean evil is evil is a very awkward term that I, I I think we know a lot of the issues against using it. But I don't want to go down a road of talking yeah, about Hannah Aaron or something. But we for we, the sake of for the sake of a conversation, <laughs> let's assume that there are some acts that can be you know murder is going to always be evil. You know stealing from somebody is going to be you know those kind of a things. We could let's assume that there are some things that are de facto evil. Um, the, is the capacity to do evil within every person and why do people choose if that is the case why is it that we all don't do evil and again this movie's answer is laws and religion this is a very hobbesian uh, yeah oh it is yeah. point of view that society is what keeps us from being animals well also let's not forget that i mean i do want to go back to the, the beginning of the movie but because i have a point to make about that but i think that that goes along with this but you know we can't ignore the fact that this dr morbius character is you know the only man on the planet and 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 they do say outright in the movie at the end of the movie that that he is he is keeping the id monster alive unknowingly yeah and that you know his you know subconscious violent and evil impulses are keeping the monster alive it is not Altea that is doing that. Altea yeah. is the one who is, you know, making friends with deer, making friends with tigers and all these sorts of things. So there is that as well going along with that. But I think that the other thing that you have to keep in mind about this movie is that to your point about that you said a few minutes ago about the very beginning of the the movie, the opening thing saying, oh, you know, we went out into space and it's 2200 and men and women are going off into space. And then we see this military ship and it is yeah. very military that 
it's all men. Now, of course, that has to do with the fact that, again, this is not extrapolating some sort of new society in the future. This yes. is very much 1950s American people extrapolate, you know, put into the 23rd century. And I would also say, um, I think in a way there is an intentional, again, the theme of sexual assault does exist in this movie. And it is one that you have a, a both male and female evenly divided crew. That one that that comes into less of a contrast, if you know what I mean. That becomes slightly less of an issue. Well, yeah, I think so, and uh, I think that the whole. Well, what I want to say but, is that the 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 opening statement that men and women went out into space is sort of like saying that yes, men and women went out into space, but men went out to fight and kill and conquer, and mm-hmm. women went out to make new homes. Yes, there are no women on the military ship because that's not what women went out into space to do. There's women on the colony ship for several obvious reasons. Yes. So I think that that is, I mean, if, if you want to move on into maybe, you know, connecting this to Star Trek a little bit, I think mm-hmm. that, you know, we could talk about the movie some more, but, it, 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 you know, Gene Roddenberry said he was not influenced by this movie, which I think is, is false. Oh, I mean, shit. I don't think that he was super influenced by it, but certainly he was. I mean, if you look at even the production values of Forbidden Planet compared with the production values of Star Trek... Star Trek was a very expensive television show. Star Trek was trying to do this type of very, very serious set design, very, very high budget movie quality special effects on a television budget in the 1960s. And I think that they mostly succeeded. Well, in terms of, yeah, in terms of. I mean, the structure of the movies feel you can put Captain Kirk and everybody in this, and perhaps except for you know McCoy dying or whatever, this is exactly a Star Trek show. But also in the way that uh, it does, I mean, the way that it is optimistic that people will ultimately choose to do good. You know, even if they have an evil nature, they will rise above that. They will be noble at the end. But, but I think I, I think that 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 what is interesting about Forbidden Planet contrasted with Star Trek is is two things. I think number one, it's that it, it, Gene Roddenberry was at least trying to construct a, a a what a future society would look like. Men and women are on the enterprise. Yes, they're getting along. Women are in positions of power. Women are in positions of authority. Women are doing the jobs that quote unquote men would do. He created the setting that he created was one that he hoped. Uh, the world would eventually be one day exactly uh, given it's you know that this is my best this is my utopian society and that it's true forbidden planet isn't really interested in a utopian society it it, it is a very insular movie in that way yeah and and i think the other thing too we have to connect us connect this to some degree with the history of literary science fiction and how it influenced film and television science fiction because you know, if you look at the earliest examples of science fiction, I mean, if you look at things that are very famous, like Foundation, for example, right? Um, you know, a lot of uh, uh, Bradbury's work. Um, it is not. It is not character based. There is no, yes. I mean, even if you look at Heinlein's early work, for mm. example, there is no real sense of human drama here. It is very much. Let's look at weird technology and let's talk about the the technology of the future, but not what the culture or society would be like. And yeah, the, and, a lot and, of the characters are the main scientist guy, his friend, his boss, and his girlfriend, and that's about as far as you know we'll get for all of them. They're not a vehicle for telling human stories. They're a vehicle for showing us what the future might look like. For discuss or or you know the reason you have two characters talking is. Not because you want to reveal some facet of that, but because you need to, number one, more elegant, 
elegantly put in some details of the setting or because you want to discuss an idea and its various merits. Right. Things like that. And then what you start to get, I think, I mean, Forbidden Planet is a pretty good example of this. And I think that Star Trek goes even further than that. And then, of course, you start getting into the classic 60s science fiction that Heinlein did and people like that, yeah. right? That, um, and, and also like Ursula Le, Guin, Ursula Le Guin and people like that, um, that you do start to see in Forbidden Planet and you do start to see in Star Trek and you do start to see in those novels that they are wanting to have dramatic moments. They are wanting to have character-based drama that is saying something about the human condition, is saying something about what it means to relate to other people in a science fiction context. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, the technology doesn't necessarily make sense it doesn't need to it's very it's abstract i mean the morbius who is the one who knows the most about it even admits that he knows the bear he can understand the barest fraction and hopes that even you know after decades of study he will even only you know he it's and frankly the 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 technology is used for knowledge that is too much in a way he yeah i it it very the the machine that gives you knowledge can literally kill several characters we're told um you know we see it happen to somebody which by the way that really reminds me of the device from spock's brain that has (laughs) to be a uh i don't know if it is or not uh the the, the person who wrote spock's brain had to but anyway um and i mean let's not forget it was also hard for people to rewatch movies yes like that is a very real thing that people forget Hmm. like if if you know Gene Kuhn saw Forbidden Planet, he probably saw it once. Yeah, yeah maybe he just years ago. But then maybe he just remembered the idea of a device that can increase it's, brain power. It's possible. But anyway, it's you know. But I but I think that, that what, what, I mean I I agree with you, and I think that the the what, well, you're talking about the Krell stuff, and and the Krell yes. is sort of like you know. Uh, a highfalutin alien culture that existed 200,000 yeah. years ago and killed themselves because of their id. Again, now, but, but give that as a that that goes with the very again, this this is to a degree almost science fantasy. Uh well, it is and it isn't. Yes. Because the movie is very uh careful to take the human technology very seriously. Yes. You know, they have a device which is I don't know exactly what it would be called, but there is a earth-based analog to it um the thing that they're using to to actually um guide themselves through space that big gold bowl with yeah the, uh, i liked that design yeah that's actually a real thing okay you know they use that on ships for example so they are trying to i mean it's not like yes. we're pushing a button and we're just going off into space right oh no 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 they, no, no. they are definitely taking the technology seriously in a way that i think was novel and new but i guess the the i mean the, this is going with that arthur clark statement you know the difference between advanced technology and magic is uh irrelevant after a while and i guess that the quote is actually Advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So yeah, um, the 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 Krell technology is so advanced that it is. I mean, let's also uh, talk about the origin of this. This this is a, a loose adaptation of the Tempest, which features a sorcerer, which features actual magic. The destruction uh, he destroys his magic book at the end of the uh, of the play. So. You know, yeah, the technology does stand in for magic in some ways. Uh, it just needs, but the movie constructs that knowledge as to you know, e- there is 
such a thing as knowledge or technology that's too powerful to be used responsibly. Let's not forget that a lot of 50s sci-fi was dealing with the after effects of the atomic bomb. I mean, that very literally is something that perhaps, you know, mankind should not have known was not ready for that kind of power. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, if you look at 1950s science fiction, what you get is uh, two things. You get movies which are talking about the the atom bomb in symbolic terms or allegorical mm-hmm. terms, and then you're, talk, you're talking about communism. Yeah. You know, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, for instance. I mean, this is not anything that Probably anybody listening to this has not thought about or read about it. No. I mean, science fiction in general deals with the anxieties of its age, and that's what people were worried about in the 50s. Yeah. But I think that that what is really, you know, kind of incumbent on, I mean, Forbidden Planet is very much a product of its time, whereas Star Trek is not. I mean, Star Trek is a product Mm. of its time, of course, but it also was trying to extrapolate a better future for humanity in a sense, and it was trying to say that the future is going to be better, that people are going to curb their worst impulses, not because it's creating an id monster, but because this is what will make everyone, you know, kind of fulfill their full potential. Well, let's let's also let's let's be very fair. Forbidden Planet is essentially conservative in its message. It views yeah. it views laws and religion as necessary to curb you know, the id monster, and while they are, you know, the movie believes that they are ultimately effective, and this life-changing knowledge is destroyed at the end because humanity is not ready for it. Contrast that to Star Trek, even more so in The Next Generation, but definitely in the original series, which believes that people are going to get better, um, that technology can help people become better, and that we will be able to use it responsibly. And that, frankly... There are a ton of planets that Kirk goes to, decides thinking of this needs to progress and changes the society, and it's for the better. He doesn't destroy the planet at the end of the apple. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Star Star Trek, I mean, you talk about Forbidden Planet as a conservative movie, and it definitely is. I mean, there are elements of conservatism to to Star Trek as well. I mean, we've talked, when we talked about the original series, for example, you know, we talked a lot about how, um, you know, Star Trek was was a perfect example of that sort of American exceptionalism and go off and fix everything kind of attitude that was prevalent in, the, you know, ever since really after World War II. And we're still yeah. dealing, we're still dealing with that th- to this day. It believes that a slightly better version of America has the moral right and will be the best daddy. Yeah. To fix yeah. everything. Which also is a gender loaded term. Yeah. And, and I'm using that very specifically. Well, let's, I mean, let's talk about kind of the, the, the set construction and set design then, because I think that what's really, what really strikes me about Forbidden Planet is really that I think a lot of the, a lot of the visual elements of Star Trek, I think were influenced by Forbidden Planet, but were also influenced in in a sense to get away from that Mm -hmm. because perfect example the ship in Forbidden Planet yeah. is your standard 50s science fiction saucer. They didn't really do anything different with that. Whereas Star Trek very much was going very far away from that. You know, yes, you have a saucer section, but it is not in the traditional shape of a saucer ship. And it, is, it also has, you know, the, the, the secondary hall. It has the nacelles. 
you know, Matt, Matt Jeffries was really trying to make something that was very different that they had, no one had seen in a science fiction context before. And let's, let's, the aftermath is the Starship Enterprise is one of the most iconic spaceships everybody knows what the Starship Enterprise looks like, but... It looks like nothing else. I have never, I didn't know that. I, I thought, I laughed when I saw the classic 50s flying saucer, but it looks like every classic 1950s flying saucer. Right, I mean, it looks exactly like the saucer from the day the Earth stood yeah. still. You know, it looks like a lot of them. You know, so a lot of the visual elements Again, of, conservative. It's conservative, yeah. I mean, a lot of the... We're not talking about... Like, Forbidden Planet is not a forward-thinking science fiction movie, in a way. It is a very... It does slot in very traditionally with what science fiction tropes, visual tropes, and thematic tropes were at the time. You know, it is the kind of movie that posits that everyone is going to be wearing like very military uniforms and guns look like guns and this kind of thing whereas star trek very much got away from that you know although it's very isn't it interesting that wrath of khan was production design was you know praised for making it a little more military or a little more naval i don't know that it was praised for it but i i think that what what you look at is like the little communicators that they have are just little Mm -hmm. microphones on on string which is supposed to be a wire of course you know, you have the guns, which look like guns. You have the saucer, which is your traditional science fiction saucer ship. And contrast that with Star Trek and Gene Roddenberry and the visual designers of that, which very much were going away from that. The communicator doesn't look like anything else that anyone had ever seen before. The phaser doesn't look like a weapon. The The Enterprise doesn't look like a spaceship. It, it, it I, tries I, to do different things and I think succeeds. Now, I don't know if you would get that without Forbidden Planet. Yeah, I, this is reminding me that Forbidden Planet has a cook that they call Cookie and he's your typical, you know, Navy cook. He was our favorite character in the movie. Oh, he was great. And, you know, that that's very much going from, I mean, my grandfather was a Navy cook. That that was my grandfather when he was that age. Um, And... Star Trek has the, not replicators in the original series, but... The little food slots, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so. And that, that alone is trying, you know, making it more, you know, get, getting further afield from the military. And, of course, we've talked a lot about is Starfleet military or what, but... Right. And I also think even, even to a degree where there doesn't appear to be much room on the ship, they all kind of sleep on, yeah. on you know, uh, hammocks in the main area. I don't think that there's there's no like private quarters, certainly not like on the Enterprise. And the Enterprise yeah. didn't look super comfortable, but it looks a lot more comfortable than than the ship in Forbidden Planet. Well, it was 10 years later, so they had <laughs> <laughs> they could be build more comfortable sets. Man. That's true. Um uh, I, and I know of that I mean that that's kind of that's certainly the evolution of Star Trek into the next generation gets even more cushy and comfortable. Um, I don't know if there's any significance to that, but it's just in my head. No, I I mean, I think that there is. Yeah. I mean, I think that the visual design of each one speaks to the time and place in which it was made. And given that DS nine is, you know, one of the striking things at the beginning of DS9 is how uncomfortable it is at first. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Know. And I think that, you know, at, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, what, what intrigues me about Forbidden Planet is not necessarily the plot, is not necessarily no. the characters, because again, you know, I don't know that 
they're all that interesting. I no. mean, certainly the, the thematic resonances of Forbidden yeah. Planet are much more interesting than what's going on. They're, but they're I think, about it. Again, they're, they're as well characterized as the prince, the princess, and the, and the wizard in a fairy tale. And I think that, you know, if Forbidden Planet gets praised as one of the best science fiction movies ever made and certainly a classic, but at the same time, a lot of the dialogue is very pretentious. Yeah. Not pretentious, portentous. A lot of the dialogue is very wordy. It's not, a lot of it is not very well written, especially Morbius. I don't think his performance is that great, frankly. Mm. And I think that there is an element to which Forbidden Planet is viewed as a classic because it is so... It, it it had a lot of money behind it, and it looks it even wasn't to this like, day visually distinctive, and it looks amazing. And especially around the time of all the science fiction movies that were being made, I'm sure it was very different too. And it's also, um, you know, I, I didn't click on this myself, but but I read that it's also um, indicative. Well, it's also uh, unique for being, I believe, the first science fiction movie to take place entirely on another planet as hmm. well. So no, is, no, there were some sections in the ship at the beginning. Well, you know what I mean. It yeah, 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 yeah. None yeah. of it takes place on Earth, right? Yes. So there is that as well. And so there's a lot. We don't know a lot about the society, the culture, the the structure of what it is. There's some talk about Earth or something. I don't know. Yeah, but United Planets. There, there, or there. There's a general, but but again, given given look look at what the Federation is and Starfleet in the first season or so of Star Trek. It's just as ambiguous it doesn't exactly matter right they're they're at some part of organized governmental type organization from civilization that's going in it can stand for whatever form of government the movie doesn't care what the form of government really is yeah well and i mean i want to talk about the end of the movie because i think that the end of the movie is kind of disappointing yeah i think that where it goes is very much in line with the thematic resonances of Forbidden Planet because, you know, it was sort of like the last 10, 15 minutes of the movie, the, the id monster appears and it's this very cool hand-drawn it animation thing. looks fantastic. Still looks fantastic. They're, and here's my fa- head canon is that's what the krill look like. Yeah, yeah, it could be. It, I mean, they do they big do, and hulking, and they would fit through that door. Yeah, they do talk about them having to kind of fit through these doors that are very wide and triangular in shape. But um, how how symbolic would it be if there's bestial in form? <gasps> but but what is I think what is most striking about it is that they they do try you know violence against it. You mm. know they set up this barrier, they set up this fence, they are shooting it. People are getting killed, and essentially what it comes down to is this very cerebral and heady idea yeah. about having to curb your worst impulses to destroy the monster and they convince Mobius to well, I don't know if they convince Mobius to blow up the planet, but they convince Mobius that they're right and then he chooses yeah. to well, blow up the planet. A lot of it is him in denial of the fact that this is coming from him. He probably is the kind of academic person who believes I could never hurt somebody. I don't have this capacity for violence in me. Within the world of the movie everybody does and he the only way he can stop it is by admitting that, yes, this is in me as well. Even as smart as I am, as much knowledge as I know, uh, I'm not free from this. Same with the Krell. Even as smart and advanced as they got, they still had this in their origin, origin and they, were, they bit off more than they can chew. Yeah. And but, certainly the movie is saying that humanity is not ready yes. for that. Now... I don't is know. that a satisfying ending to the movie, though? I mean, it's sad that he dies, especially considering that in The Tempest, Prospero, his, an- his character, survives it. He 
Yeah. He manages to atone for his youthful wrongdoings and, you know, he's going back with everybody. Um, at the same time, I think, I think the Tempest is a lot more about the, uh, one atoning for the mistakes of youth. And this, and this certainly is not. Yes, bad. this is taking it for a very, you know, well, very different. Th- it, I mean, there is some of that, you, but you, you could argue that it's atoning for the youth of humanity. Yeah, that, in a sense. That, yeah. Um, either way, it's a, it's it's it, you know, even if it takes it to a different thematic place than the the initial play, that's fine too. Um, the setting enough, you know, works enough. Well, and I think also, you know. The the other thing that I want to talk about is is the robot because oh yeah you know we, well we, the robot who very literally has a device within him which prevents him from doing evil yeah unlike humanity which has to abide by laws and religion and can you know is able to physically ignore that Robbie is and also was just like completely stolen from uh, uh, <laughs> iRobot yeah oh oh of course uh, <laughs> but. Asimov. I love Robbie the robot. No, he's got well, I mean, he's great. Robbie is interesting because I think Robbie's one of the first robots to actually have a personality. Okay. And, you know, yes, he is a very classic science fiction robot, but at the same time, you know, and this is the thing oh, about yes. for, Well, this is the thing about Forbidden Planet is that this is really the first kind of that kind of robot that was created. Yeah. I mean, this is where this started. And then, you know, you look at something like Lost in Space from a few years later and it's a complete joke. You know, Lost in Space was a very different thing and I've only ever seen a couple episodes of it of it, but it's not really worth watching. I mean, it's very kiddie and it's very yeah. non-serious and it doesn't take science fiction seriously yeah, yeah, yeah. at all. So it is an element to which Forbidden Planet was, you know, if you can compare and contrast Forbidden Planet with Star Trek again, I think Forbidden Planet was really working within the confines of the science fiction tropes, whereas Star Trek was more interested in in transcending them. Yeah. And I think you see that very clearly in Robbie the Robot. Now, certainly, mm-hmm. he was a distinctive creation. He was the first robot in a science fiction movie, I believe, to have like some sort of personality, to have some sort of motivation beyond what he was programmed to do. Yeah. But at the same time... To be benign, because to there be were benign. plenty of robots that were... you know, Killer robots was definitely a thing. But at the same time... In the same way that the saucer is, you know, very much yeah. in line with start with uh, with science fiction of the time. In the same way that a lot of the technology was in line with science fiction of the time, Star Trek was doing very different things with that. You know, when we see an android in Star Trek, it doesn't look like a robot. Now, part of that, of course, is that they could not afford to build something like Robbie yeah, the yeah, Robot. Yeah. But it also had really to do with, I think, the 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 sense well, that science fiction had come a bit further by that point. And they were trying to do something that was a bit more real and human. Well, let, let's also face that Robbie isn't intended to be human. He, uh, uh, by the very fact that he has something which prevents him from doing evil, he is not he is not capable of sin. I mean, and True. He, he's he's therefore not human. Now he is capable of forming friendships. He and the cook seem to have a grand old time together. You know, <laughs> I love that. Robbie he's, makes him sixty gallons of whiskey yeah. or something. But he's like, you know, and, and the but but and again, here here here's the thing. You know, the the cook would be could be satisfied with having a couple of you know having a few drinks, but he drinks to excess because he has too much that because he has more than he's capable of responsibly handling even even the cook is going to go off the deep end uh, yeah (laughs) which is you know nice a nice construction in there but anyway yeah and i like that he has a couple sarcastic lines here and there but yeah he's good (laughs) he's good he's a good robot i wish i was friends with him well you could be
I think that's it. Well, I liked it very much. I am very happy I saw it. I'm surprised. I didn't know if you were going to like it. I mean, I don't love this movie. No, I mean, and and there were parts where, and I know you were worried I was going to fall asleep. Again, it is a very languid, slow movie for a while. You know, a lot of the initial bits are just kind of these really pretty matte paintings and this just bizarre, you know, but yet somehow soothing music. Well, yeah, like, we didn't even talk about the music, but the music was also very distinctive and very unique. Something, so something I read about that they were, um, there were, they were non-union, the, the couple who composed the... How dare they? Yeah, and be, the musicians' union didn't want, you know, this... Whatever. Yeah. It, it didn't want them to, you know, go... The, you'll see their credit says electronic note tonalities, I think was what their credit, not electronic music, because that was a loophole that they were able to get, you know, credited and do the, do the music for the movie without being union. And as a result, they were apparently blacklisted for the duration of their career huh. from being in movies. But the soundtrack is fantastic. And we will it's, always remember them for it, that. It sounds like nothing else. Again, you know, just the sound of it is. But yeah, it, it's a very... But I really did very much like that, and then once once start stuff once stuff starts happening, it really does happen. Pick up, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very well paced movie, but it's also exactly as long as it needs to be. And and Francis is hot in those dresses. There you go. Richard thinks a woman is hot. Yeah. Breaking news on Patreon special. I I I'm not ready to come out to the rest of the world yet, especially not to DJ Skin So Smooth. Who is not listening to this? All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this patron special for the month of September. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for giving us your money. We do appreciate your support very much. And uh, it heartens us to know that so many people like us enough to give us money to keep doing these podcasts. We love you very much. Now, are we ready to tell them what we're going to do for the October patron special? We, we've decided uh, to... You are. I don't remember what it is. Well, I think we've kind of fallen into I Decide One, Richard Decides One, which seems like it's working pretty well. Forbidden Planet was my idea. Oh, God. So this is my idea now? This is your idea. I don't remember what my idea was. We're going to watch Trekkies. Oh! The classic 1997 documentary about Star Trek fandom. I, I so Now that I have... Cause I've seen it before, but that was, I think kind of maybe towards the beginning of this experience sure okay uh, or it was before we really did trek about or something so i didn't have as much of a connection to it now that i've been doing this for 17 years i uh would like to very much see it so we'll talk about that next month so look forward to that just coming at you in uh, four weeks hang on i really so. could have uh 97 was really more than 17 years ago, wasn't it? Was, it? it was 19 years ago, in fact. So it is possible that I have... It's been 17 years since I saw it. It's oh possible. It's very possible. Wow. But not Trekkies 2, because I think that came out in 2000. It could be 16 years. That's not 17. Well, thank you very much for listening. We will see you next month for another patron special and continue to listen to Trek About and tuning in as well. We love you all. Goodbye. Bye.